0: grace and peace to you this morning. It's so good to be with you all and a joy really to be invited to speak a word on this journey past the open tomb as Easter people and as a part of this Ecojustice series over these weeks. Thanks for bearing with me as I switched up the texts a little bit this morning, just needed to jump ahead a little bit and get some of that Pentecost spirit in here as we're um, on our Easter journey. And we read the first half of the text from John, which really, I think, is quite fitting. It actually lines up really well. Both of these texts are about this arrival of the spirit as the disciples are making sense of this new post-resurrection reality of Christ and how God continues to stir and sustain God's people. The wind of the Spirit is a captivating image in both of these texts and very, shows up in very different ways. Mysterious, powerful, empowering, and rushing and forceful on the one hand and quiet and gentle on the other. In John, it's Jesus' very breath, this breathing on the disciples, which is a very embodied and vulnerable sense of this loved one held close and breathing. The other, the violent, rushing wind filling the the closed doors in the room, opening things up, stirring tongues of fire, and propelling the disciples out the door to witness to the gospel. These winds are very different, less of quiet breath and more of reminding me of the scenes from The Wizard of Oz. It's a twister! The wind rushing through the house. Growing up, on Nebraska, growing up in Nebraska on the Windy Prairie, I'm very familiar with the power of wind and its rushing force, and also that it gives us power in a very literal sense. As I've made that drive, down through the states, um, I've noticed the wind farms popping up over time. And even here in our Minnesota, wind generation accounted for 18% of our energy in 2017. A huge jump from the 4% it was only 10 years ago. And how now today it's actually the cheapest form of of electrical energy generation. Wind is incredibly powerful and how beautiful that these renewable energy sources come from the physical and tangible realities through which we know God, wind and light. What a very different paradigm than that of fossil fuels, a system in which we're still currently dependent and entrenched, a system that's built upon extraction and exploitation very similar in some ways to the story of the Lorax that we read this morning. Unsustainable energy systems rely on a systematic deconstruction of nature. A tearing down, tearing apart, cutting through, removing mountaintops, slashing forests, extracting oil, running it through pipelines that zigzag through soil and wetland. These practices are ones that we shouldn't just be concerned about during Earth Day month, but they should cut deep for us as people of faith. When the holy place is the mountaintop, and yet that gets dismantled for coal production, which is still the largest source, single greatest source of our electricity in the state. And when we baptize with water, but an overwhelming majority of our lakes and rivers in southern Minnesota are unsafe for swimming and fishing, too polluted to pour over the heads of our children, then we know something has gone awry. What's striking to me is the way that our trouble with the land carries deep significance in our scriptures. The prophets wrote eerily similar words and images to the environmental degradation and climate instability that we face today. Hear these words from the prophet Isaiah, The earth dries up and withers. The world languishes and withers. The heavens languish together with the earth. The the earth lies polluted under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed laws, violated statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. That's heavy stuff. The prophet goes on for more verses, describing the earth as utterly broken, shaken, torn asunder. And this isn't just hyperbole for literary effect, this was, this was very, very crucial for God's people who were an agrarian community and depended on the land for livelihood and sustenance, who felt a close connection with the earth. The land's disruption really was a life, distru- life disruption and a wake-up call that something was going wrong, that there was injustice between people, and consequently, there is a breakdown in the relationship between humanity and God. Now, this was all through these scriptures in the Old Testament. And I'm telling you, it completely changes the way you think about creation if you see the land as squarely between humanity and God in the unfolding of time and relationship. So what does this say to us today? that the earth lies polluted under its inhabitants, that it staggers and sways. Well, I'm reminded of the writings of Bill McKibben, who actually argues we need to start misspelling the word earth, that we need to be reminded that our current planet isn't the same one that we've always known that enough major ecological features have changed and enough of our climate patterns have shifted that we ha- that something is fundamentally different and we have a different, tough, new version of our planet. It is utterly broken, torn asunder. And as the prophets would remind us, of course, this is deeply a matter of justice. As we know today, violent storms and rising water always hits hardest those who are already vulnerable. Those who live in more tenuous regions or who have less resources to relocate or recover. Communities that have relied on being able to grow crops on a piece of land for generations no longer can be assured that that will be the reality tomorrow. Having clean air to breathe, clean water to drink, food that nourishes, none of these are a given on a tough new planet. And we all know who bears the brunt of that reality. The Pope's words ring loudly that the world's poor, though least responsible for climate change and environmental degradation, are already suffering its impact. And folks who have inhabited, tilled, or held sacred land that becomes an attractive resource for economic value suddenly become subject to exploitation. Now, what happened at Standing Rock is such a clear example of this, and a really poignant story of seeing a pipeline which we do, under our current system, are still embedded in these realities, seeing it originally routed north of Bismarck and being moved over fear of contamination of water because of the wellheads there. Of course, that was less of a concern initially when it was moved to be just north of the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation. And what's interesting for me to note as I listened to the indigenous voices in this community and beyond, um, and particularly at Standing Rock, there that land where the pipeline originally went through was original treaty lands that was flooded in 1948 to make Lake Oahe. And when that happened, the land that was the subsistence agricultural space, all of the gardens that fed the folks who were living there and the homes where people lived, it was all submerged and they had to move. This is deeply a matter of justice, regardless of what environmental issue you're addressing. We have to ask the questions of who ultimately has control of our resources, who benefits, and who suffers. And I know these questions are hard and they ask a lot of us. They ask about where we find ourselves in these broken and harmful systems where the maintaining of the status quo is filled with dust and dying. Yet this is where we get to show up as Easter people who have a very different word and different calling. We don't let dust dust and death and dying have the final say. We fight the urge to let the powers at be force us into a fearful and closed room. I'm reminded, actually, of a dusty, earthy story that came later, uh, the Valley of the Dry Bones, where the prophet Ezekiel is standing in what would otherwise be a place of death and injustice, of desolation, and speaks a prophetic word of life and breathes into the valley. This text actually often gets paired with Acts, and I think that's so fitting that we're speaking this new life into the face of death. That Ezekiel is joined by the breathing and breathless women rushing from the tomb, by Jesus' disciples speaking to Thomas, we have seen the Lord, and by those um, who rushed out of the upper room speaking in tongues of life eclipsing death. And really, what happens there is so key, is they went from this upper space, from a place set apart, out among the people, speaking boldly on the street corner, sharing this good news of Christ. And what happened immediately after that was actually a sharing and stewarding of resources, launched a movement of early Jesus followers that challenged the status quo gathered people into life-giving community, held things in common, and worked for the common good. So it asks of us today, how will you speak up and speak out? Where will you show up? What is your call? What is our call as Easter people in a world that needs some serious mending? Where do you find yourself unable to keep quiet, and how can we be transformed by the promise of new life and better hold all things in common. Well, you're in luck because thankfully we're not in this work alone, and we're just getting started. You have an advocate in your pastor, and those of us on Synod staff, myself, Grace Corbin, who will be with you all next week, and we can explore what the growing edges of stewardship might look like How we can rearrange our thinking and living in community to better steward our building, better steward our lives when we leave this space and show up in the public square when our officials need to hear our voices about equity and justice as we use our resources. And here we are on the other side of the open tomb with this symbol of the cross no longer a sign of death but one of new life, and the Spirit compelling us onward, filling our voices and equipping us to be drawn out of closed rooms and to courageously work for the healing of creation. Amen.